We are live. Welcome to Wrestling with the Future live on YouTube, Facebook, and around the world. Tonight, grab yourself a cup of coffee. Karen McDaniels here. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I have, I have a reputation on <laughs> Oh, man, we're going to have fun tonight. Karen McDaniel, how the hell are you, my friend? I've been doing great. Thank you very much. You so nice to be welcome. with I'm all happy of you to have you back, and you brought your friend, your buddy, your co-author, John Cosper, the man that Listen. Jake, Jam and Jake Hudson calls the gold standard of authorship. John Cosper is with us. John, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. I, I got to say, I, I'm. I was. I love seeing Tiny Tim on your intro there. Well, yeah. you know, we had Tiny's Tiny's uh, <laughs> manager is a dear friend of mine. Okay. Okay. Stephen yeah. Plim. His name is Stephen Plim. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll tell you. <laughs> so, Tiny Tim was it was an interesting. He would have been a great wrestling personality. Oh yeah, he, he made really an appearance on Raw, but like it was. I don't remember when that was, but uh, he'd have so made a great with ukulele. manager. <laughs> he uh, would have. He would have. Yeah, John. He would have made yeah. a great manager. He would have oh, made he, a great manager. I love. Yeah. I love that. I love that era of comedy. I love that era of showbiz, laughing, and and uh, Smothers oh, God, Brothers yeah. and, and all that stuff. It just just absolutely. Great well, Jam and Jake Hudson, my producer extraordinaire, he's in the booth in Waynesboro, Mississippi. How you doing tonight, Jake? Doing good. I'm just, I've had a little bit of a rough uh, 24 hours, but I'm here. Yeah, I'm well, you you look, you got the, we got Karen McDaniel and the, the man you called the gold standard. Andrew, we're, the we're, gold we're, standard. I like that, John. The gold standard. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you hear that? I like that. I heard that. I heard that. I, like that. I appreciate it, man. So, Karen, you and I, uh, you, we've, we're, we're old friends from way back, and you've been on the show a bunch of times. Yes. And the once and, and all the talking about Wahoo that we did, you never mentioned either doing a book or putting your, your thoughts down on paper. Why did you decide that now was the time? Well, it, I, I didn't mention it because I didn't know how to go about it. Okay. And uh, I believe it was you that introduced me or or, yep. or yep. told me about John Cosper and I contacted him. And if it was not, I mean, it, this would not have happened if it wasn't for him. I mean, yeah. I can hook you up with all the people to talk to. I can write down stories that I had. But he is an author. You know what I'm saying? He's yep. a true writer. He knows how to portray the story and, and make it all sound the way it's supposed to sound, to come across Absolutely. as each person said it. And I told him in the beginning, the first thing I said is that I didn't want it to just be an autobiography. I wanted it to be people who were still around or people who had said things about him in quotes and stories so we could all read what people really thought of him. It's we don't interesting have of you to say us. that because I have I have a um, a piece of clip I'm going to play a film clip I'm going to play later in the show. It's interesting what people thought of Wahoo. Okay, you, he was a really in in many ways the guy the guy that really was never a heel in his life, and he it, really wasn't. Only one time was he ever really booed. And that was in a match with, with not not Tully Blanchard, uh, with Magnum TA, mm -hmm. and they were both baby faces at the time. Yeah, but for a guy that was never a heel, now he, he was, was a heel one time. Let me correct you. Oh, okay, he and go ahead. Tully, he and Tully were tag team heels. Yes. They were the awesome twosome. 
And he would tell me, oh, my God, I hate this. I can't stand all my fans hollering at me and screaming at me. Yeah. He said, I hate this. He absolutely hated it. But and they you were, and I actually spoke the about thing. that before, remember? Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting because a guy that was just so beloved, it's interesting that he was also very divisive. You either loved him or you didn't. My question for John Cosper and, and co-authoring the book did you find that Wahoo made an interesting character study? Uh, was there much more to him than than met the eye, John? What what struck me over over time it really was over the summer. It was actually when I was at the uh, the George Stragos Luthes Hall of Fame weekend over the summer. Is when you bring up Wahoo, you get one or two reactions from somebody from that age. The first reaction is, "Did you know Wahoo?" It's like, "No, no, I never met Wahoo." Second reaction is, did you know Wahoo? And they get this big grin on their face. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I knew Wahoo. Yeah. Um, I got that from James Beard. I got that from Joe Malenko. I got that from Rick McCord. It just just actually watching Joe and Rick both simultaneously get the smile and start out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We have Wahoo stories. So um, he's, he's a guy who's beloved. He's, he's well-remembered. And, and, and yeah, it would have been interesting to listen to somebody who had a beef with him, certainly. But, um, I mean, everybody has a story. And, and it was sure. the fun part was, was finding – Get the different angle of the stories that have been told multiple times, get the different angles on them, but also yeah. get the stories that, that, you know, nobody else had heard other than, than one or two people. Yeah. Well, he, John, here, here's something. I, I don't know if you consider this, but in writing the book, you know, you, you pull, you extract different traits, you know, to, uh, to, to contact, you know, connect with your audience, mm -hmm. um, things that they can identify with. What was the one if you had to pick maybe one or two, the one or two most identifiable things about Wahoo that connected either with people in general or with his fans. And that may be an interesting question for you and Karen to answer, but I'll go with you first, John. Yeah, I think probably the number one, and this, this goes back to when I worked on Tracy Smothers book and he told the story that it's, that I, that I went ahead and put in Wahoo's book as well, which is Wahoo was a guy who, you know, in a time, we, you know, all the veterans were all about hazing the younger guys and this and that. He didn't really, bro you know, he didn't really go for taking advantage of the young guys. You know, he he would, you know, he would back up the young guys when they when they had to. Tra Tracy's story is he and Steve Armstrong had been working a couple nights and it's, it's, it's in the, I can't remember which tag team they were working against, but he saw just how cut up their foreheads were. And, yeah. You know, just, just the abuse they'd been taking. And that night they were in a three on three and it was uh, Wahoo along with Steve and Tracy, I guess these two guys plus Bill Dundee and uh, Wahoo got in the ring with those. And he, he just messed those two guys up, you know, just, just, just yeah. a payback for what they had done Tracy <laughs> and Steve. Oh, I, th yeah. I think that was, that was the number one thing was he was a guy who was willing to stand up for the little guy. Um, there's a Tony Atlas story in the book about how Wahoo got him his first pair of boots and got him his first bag. Um, you know, just, just, just a very, a very giving and caring that, guy. That, hey, that's, that story Tony Atlas told, I was crying at mm. the end of it. It made me cry. Yeah. It made me cry because it was so, he was carrying his stuff around in the paper bag and Wahoo told him to leave it there. Yeah, well, I tell you what, John, you touched on something that now is, oh, and, and let me welcome every officially welcome back to the show. Mike Messier, filmmaker, director, actor, producer, award-winning filmmaker, I should say. Mike, how are you, my friend? 
I'm good, Angelo. Yeah, Can you hear me okay? Getting himself together. Yes, welcome. I want to play a film clip, a piece of film, and it, it, it segues right into what John Cosper and Karen are just uh, talking about right now. So take a The Wahoo thing. Oh, the Wahoo. Wahoo beat me so hard, beat me so many times. And finally one day, I had just had it. I hauled off and hit Wahoo as hard as I could in his face. And I knocked him down. <laughs> and he got up and he shook his head. And then we finished the match. But, I mean, he was brutalizing me. So I always told people that Wahoo made me tough. He beat me tough. So he made me tough. He walked by me one time and, and to my wife, Julie, and goes, this is after the thing where I knocked him out. I didn't knock him out. I knocked him on his knees, but he was shaking his head. He goes, I just want to, he didn't say it to me. He goes, I just want to tell you that your husband's a hell of a man. And he walked on. He was still stiff the next night, but it was a little different. Professional football player. Well, you know, I, I wrestled in the first year I was playing football. I wrestled in 1960 was my first year, and uh, I wrestled a half a year, and I played football a half a year. And uh, every year I, I made more and more money in the offseason, and finally at the end I was making probably two and a half times more money wrestling than I was playing football. McDaniel was an outspoken player who fought for his rights. Back in 1965, players were making as little as $12,000 per year. And for Wahoo, that just wasn't enough. You know, when you got something, an ace in the hole, it's easy to say, if, if, I, if you don't get more money, I'll go and wrestle because I was making more money wrestling. And uh, where a lot of guys, you know, didn't have jobs and they went home and worked at odd jobs off season. And, uh, you know, they tended to have to have football to make a living. And that's where they, you know, and they were a little timid about saying anything. You'd be surprised at what a man like me would do for He, he, he could do it all. He, he ran. He played football. He, he, again, he, you know, and what a, what a great fucking professional wrestler, a legitimate tough guy, too. So, uh, yeah, sportsman is really what you'd have to sport. Yeah. Wow. So, what do you think of that? What do I think of it? I just, yeah. just to get to see him and to hear his voice just makes me shiver. It just, it, he was so profound. He was so honest to everybody and about everything. He didn't really, he didn't mean to hurt people's feelings when he was honest, but he was honest, right. you know. Oh, God, yeah. And, and that's what, I mean, to me, that, and it's like I've told you over and yeah. over and John too. Wrestling was his business. He looked at it as a business, thought of it as a business. Mm -hmm. And when he left there, oh, let's go play golf, let's go fishing. I mean, it wasn't his whole life. Exactly. And so many of the other guys and so many of the young people, it's all they have. And I think in a way yeah. that's so sad because he had his outlet. So he wasn't giving up his hobbies for nobody. Sure. You, know? you heard him say in that clip, Karen, that he made upwards of two and a half times the amount of money 
wrestling than he did playing football. I'm gonna, His biggest cheer in football was for the New York Jets. He made eighteen thousand dollars. And that was his biggest. To think that he was making almost three times that amount wrestling. Well, that was his big argument. Was they were bringing in, they were beginning to bring in these college players that they really didn't know if they were going to work out or not, and giving yeah. them these contracts. And I'm going, wow, you know, that's some thinking ahead. Right. And it's just Mike like questions for John Cosper and Karen McDaniel. John. Well, I've spoken with Karen before, and uh, she she might remember my anecdote that I actually bought a green wrestling mask from Wahoo McDaniel uh, back in 1994 in Greensboro North when Carolina. Uh, Wahoo was doing – yeah, Greensboro, North Carolina, Wahoo I remember that story, Mikey. Some, yeah, well, Wahoo was um, – I was just thinking about Wahoo's heel turn in 1984 when uh, he kind of teamed up with Tully Blanchard in the mid-Atlantic area and went up against uh, Ric Flair and, and Tully. And just on a, on a personal level, did Wahoo ever speak about his, I think he had about an eight month tenure as a heel. Did he ever talk about that? Did he enjoy it? Cause some of the wrestlers say they'd like being a heel, but Wahoo was such a likable guy, but I could see him kind of tapping into that dark side of his own personality and being a hard, hard ass with guys too. Did, did he ever speak about his time with you about when he was a heel? Yeah, we kind of brought that up before you got on just briefly. He hated he We already asked that question. Not like the fans yelling, and he wasn't used to that. He had never had that. You know, kind of a babyface heel anyway in his own yeah. right. But the fans loved it. And that was hard for him. But Tully made it, Tully, Tully made it easy because Tully is such a perfect heel. You can't, you could have not ever gotten a better heel than Tully. Oh, my God, he please. Believably, and he was, great. that man was born to be a heel. <laughs> yeah, yes, and he yes, great he was. He was his father, <laughs> Joe Blanchard. <laughs> look at it. Look at his daughter. If you've ever seen seen her work heel, I mean, she's oh she's, brother, she's, she's brutal. She, she's got it. She, yeah. She's she's phenomenal. That girl's brutal. <laughs> yeah, she's. I think she's one of the best in the world. And yeah, glad she, she really back. is, and she needs to yeah. get the hell out of Impact for crying out loud. She, she's not working with Impact anymore. She's with oh, uh, I think she she's with Wow right now, Women of Wrestling. Oh, okay. Is, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, Wow. Wow is back. Oh, yeah. I wish she'd go to um, to um, uh, AEW with uh, her dad. I wish she'd go over there. I you think know? that's in the works. To be honest with you, Karen. Yeah. Well, I hope so. That would she's be. Yeah. Some, I think she's got some relationship rebuilding after after what what happened and everything like that. But. Okay. Uh, I, she, she's 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 way too young to be done, and she's way way too talented to be done. Yeah. Oh my God, sure, Karen. When you decided that you were going to put this book together, and and okay, and you found out okay, this is how I'm going to go about it. Um, there were a couple of names that came your way. John Cosper was one, but, but no matter what the name was, there was one thing that had to happen. You had to trust someone with your story. Moreover, you had to trust someone with this personal piece of your life. Oh, I trusted. Was, what, no, was it easy for you to trust John with that, with, you know, your heart and soul? You're talking about your husband here, you know. this is All I had to do is talk to him on the phone. I knew I was good to go. I knew he had my, you know, he had it for me. I knew. It. All I had to do was talk to him on the phone. It was just easy. And, it John, was, then the, the contrary question is. 
were they, you nervous about taking on such a larger than life character? I mean, Wahoo is def definitely one that that, uh, that I took very seriously and wanted to do right. But, you know, it, it's kind of my mission statement and, and my purpose with my writing my books is, you know, I've got one client when, it, when I work on a book and it's either the person that I'm writing about or it's their family. Yeah. Um, you know, when I worked with on Chris Candido's book, Johnny Candido and, and his parents were the folks I wanted to please. When I worked on this one, Karen was the one who needed to be happy and sign off on it. When I worked on Tracy Smothers book, he, he was the guy whose opinion that mattered most to me. So it, it's telling their stories and the way they want them told and, and, and the way they want them honored. And uh, Karen was great to work with. And I mean, certainly, I mean, this is, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very well aware a lot of people followed Wahoo and, and still love Wahoo. And I wanted to make oh, sure we told God. the story right. We wanted to get things right. And I ran it by a couple of fact checkers too, before I ran it through my proofreaders. And, um, you know, it's just, fact it's, checkers. There, there's, yeah. there's a hot button. <laughs> there's a hot button. Yeah. Fact yeah. checkers. So, you know, and, you, yeah, shouldn't, and you shouldn't run it by Jam and Jake Hudson. Jake, do you got a question for uh, um, Karen or John? You know, I, if, I, I actually have a, I have a couple questions, but I got something to say first. Go ahead. Um, you know, I I saw some I saw some of the matches that Wahoo had with uh, Reggie Bull, Manny Fernandez, and oh. I think it's AWA. I forget if it's AWA or, the other or another company, but it was on. They showed reruns of it on ESPN Classic. If you remember mm -hmm. that station, mm -hmm. AWA, I think was on there. Yeah. Um, so my my question is for John Cosper. Um. Who would you like to do? Uh, who in the, in the future? Who you like to do a book for? Gosh, um, I, I, I say I'll always say my number one the, the guy that I always loved watching as a kid and and would love to work with would, would be Kevin Von Erich. Um, I, I know that he's he's probably told his family story more than enough, and he's he's, he's done talking about it. But I would certainly would love to work with him. There, there's a number of folks. Um, I mean, Ricky Morton's got a heck of a story to tell. You know, he's going to be a great book. Um, hey. Great picture for that story. You know? Brother, you could write a book just from the two days that Ricky and Robert stayed with me at my house. <laughs> that was... Uh, yeah. I've been talking to... Victoria's been been uh, getting me in touch with, with a number of other ladies as well. Leilani Kai is one I'd certainly be interested yeah. in working with and, and, and quite a few, but... Um, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's there's a little project I'm, I'm kind of just in the very beginning of the stages of right now. I've done some historical bios, the Black Panther, Jim Mitchell and uh, Elvira Snodgrass. Um, and what I'm going to do with my next one, because, you know, Jim Mitchell's book has done really well and Elvira not just made people take chances on. But I'm combining four of them into one book and the four that I'm looking at are we Willie Davis. Uh, Mars Bennett, who had been a circus wrestler before she became a wrestler. Oh, yeah. She was in the circus. Um, Harold Sakata, uh, Tosh Togo, who, of course, was odd job in, in Goldfinger. Yeah. And uh, Tor, Tor Johnson, uh, who the great movie star and also the, the super sweet. Tor Johnson is amazing. Watch him in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, I love that movie. I absolutely <laughs> Mike Messier, you are the, <laughs> Mike Messier, you're the resident film guy. Let's talk about uh, Tor Johnson's acting ability. You know, a lot of these wrestlers, especially a guy like Tor, they have such a physical presence. And like, especially the, the pre-pay-per-view wrestling, the wrestlers play to the back row is the way that I interpreted it. Because True. if you were getting 10 or 20,000 people into an arena, you want 
not only the person in the first row or the front row to enjoy the match, but you want the person in the back row. So these wrestlers, especially the bigger guys like Tor, uh, you know, they just learn to be so so powerful with their presence. And that can transcend, uh, like Professor Toro Tanaka did some films as well. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, some of these guys before The Rock became the number one uh, box office attraction, there was a lot of wrestlers doing movies. You know, we think of Roddy Piper as being a pioneer, and that's true. But a lot of these guys were character actors and did tremendous work. So I think it's uh, great. And you know what would be an interesting book, John? Uh, maybe I would team up with you and Angelo on this would be a book about uh, wrestlers in movies. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like yeah. character actors. That would be a fascinating yeah. book. And if you could get some good pictures from that. And uh, I'm thinking of who was the guy that worked with Ed Wood that George Steele played in the, the film version with Johnny Depp? That's, that's, George 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 George. George. that's Tor. Yeah, that's George exactly George. what we're talking about. So, yeah. so, I mean, you would have such a lineage from Tor uh, to George the Animal Steele playing Tor. That's very meta. And Professor Toro Tanaka and uh, all these guys would be very fast. I think uh, I think Toro Tanaka did an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Running Man, if I'm not mistaken. I could be sure wrong. Did. That's what I'm thinking. Enough, yeah. A lot of great wrestlers in movies. Yeah. And, John, you'll, you'll probably remember this. Um, the, uh, the, French, the French angel, I believe he called himself, was Maurice a guy who... He was the number one Halloween mask for years and years on end. That was he that was Tor Johnson. This, yes. Oh, yeah, was, that was, it? That was, was that, it? Yeah, that was Tor. Now, now Maurice oh, Soleil, okay. the guy you're th thinking of, French Angel, he was pretty much the model for Shrek. That's, uh, if that's you look at his guy. face yeah. and everything. But yeah, Tor, I was actually on yeah. eBay the other day, and there was a 1977 Tor, Don Post Tor Johnson mask for sale. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. Karen, question for you. you you've often said to me, I got to say something right now. Oh, go ahead. Say something to me about us women talking. Yes, ma'am. Y'all haven't shut up. Oh. <laughs> I haven't been able to get an edge, a word in edgewise. This is this is the reason why this is I I work with him every week and he does this every week. He won't let me get a word in edgewise. So I'm sitting here thinking, and he just got through saying me and Carol Snuka and. And Barbara Goodish, and we were talking, and they just had to sit back. And I'm just sitting back, going, uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he does that all the time. He, he sometimes he won't let me get an edge where I'm trying to talk to him uh, off camera, and, and sometimes he interrupts and says something smart. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I just had to block somebody, Angela. I just had to block somebody because they came okay. in, they just came in acting like uh, that's fine. In your Ramuses, that's oh. fine. So, Karen, uh, we need to get him a shot collar or something. Well, I have a question for you, Karen. You've often said Wahoo was the same kind of guy in the ring as he was outside the ring. He was. And I never asked you this. I just thought about it as we were talking. Um, did any of the boys resent Wahoo for being like just Wahoo? No, he is. And, 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 and John talks about this in the book also is the fact that when he went to the ring, he was Wahoo McDaniel. That's who he was. And he acted the same way in the ring as he did. I mean, he really was himself. He wasn't some cartoon character. He wasn't some made up somebody. He was Wahoo McDaniel. Now yeah. on that side of it, yes, he was, that's who he was. And it's like I've said several times, if you didn't sell, he made you sell. Because oh boy. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Made, yeah. Just listen to Greg Valentine. Tell that, that story. Right. <laughs> 
that was his business. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't that he was mean. It was just, we're doing business right now. Yeah, sure. You know? Mike, your questions for... So I think Kelvin Sullivan's first comment to me when I asked him about Wahoo was, I'm still hurting from Wahoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mikey, questions yeah. for John or Karen? Well, I, maybe for both. Um, you know, and, and I just, you know, maybe I'm, I kind of, I think about the wrestling business of that era, the 70s and the 80s. For me, that was the best time for pro wrestling, and Wahoo was a big part amen. of that. Um, I think of a story, and I wonder if Wahoo ever commented on it, that the entire legacy of Chief J Strongbow was because the WWF at the time could not control or um, or break the spirit of Wahoo McDaniel. Because they could not control or break the spirit of Wahoo, they had to create a fabrication of a Native American wrestler. And no disrespect to him because he, he had a lot of fans, but Jay uh -huh. Scarpa was not the true uh, the, the he was a he was a wahoo mcdaniel wannabe i hate to say it but it's true yeah true yeah he was he italian yeah he was and, and there's nothing wrong with jay scarp as a human being and i know he contributed a lot to pro wrestling but mm -hmm. as far as the character of chief jay that was really a, a, a it was a spin-off or or a facsimile you know a wish uh, version, yeah. as the kids would say, of Wahoo McDaniel, and I'm just wondering, Karen and John, did you know? Because Wahoo seemed like I, I'm guessing he wouldn't care, or even since you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Maybe he saw it like that. But did he ever have any like jokingly things to say? Did he ever snicker at Chief J, or did he ever comment, or did he just not have much to say about it? Good question. Say about he he really didn't have anything to say about anybody except who he was going to wrestle that night, and that they better work. <laughs> I mean, Trish makes sense. really didn't yeah. say if he said something about anybody, it was directly to them and in the dressing room or on the phone. Or, and as I said, when he was a booker, he he talked very blunt. This is what it's going to be. This yeah. is what we're going to do. And this is what's going to be the best for you. Yeah. You know, John, and, was there any comparative? Um, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? Well, were there any Indian. comparisons drawn between Jay Strongbow and, and Wahoo McDaniel? That as you're writing the book, did you come across anything? Not really. I, any you know, they, they, or uh, from a fan, perhaps. Say that the two, the two of them had uh, had crossed paths. You know, early early in, in both of their careers, when when Joe was was still Joe Scarpa, um, he he had his dispute over over money, of course, with with WWF, and that's why he walked out and. And no longer went and work with them, and they they ended up inventing Chief J Strongbow. Uh, but as Karen said, you know, it was never really anything where he had a beef with it. Um, I, I think I remember. I think it was actually when I was working with uh, Princess Victoria, and we were talking about it, and the fact that you know he had a headdress that was made by Native Americans and everything like that. That just showed, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that they they had his support, you know, and you know, or he had their support, and you know, that they felt honored by by the way he had portrayed the character and. Um, the two of them made, made an appearance together. I think it was his only appearance on actual WWE television. It was an episode with, with Tatanka mm -hmm. where they were presenting him with a ceremonial headdress. And He was on so, Raw. That's the only time they mm -hmm. were on. Now, he yep. worked for dad, but he, didn't, he never worked for them. Yeah. Karen, what's the one thing about Wahoo that people might be surprised to find out in reading this book? Um, that he was... Uh, 
he was a sweet, caring man, and I don't want to give away anything, but there's a babysitter story in there that's really cute. I and know the babysitter story. <laughs> you will realize that this is really a caring, humbling, yeah. sweet man. You know, and yeah. he was, you know, he he was all kind of people. He was wild and crazy, and but you read some, and I even read them, and I know them, and I go, oh my God, if somebody reads it, they're going to think he was a wild man, a nut. Well, right. he was that was just him. You know? Well, I mean, after all, Karen, he was a wrestler. <laughs> you know, they're not they're they're not all put together too tight sometimes. That way, John, and in writing the book, Am I not um, from your for your from your going through with his mother's tales, his sister's tales, he was like that from the beginning. He didn't change. Yeah. Rest. Yeah, he's he's a yeah. guy. Yeah, guy, we guys do dumb things. And while who was a little more, I mean, you know, he, he would have fit in right with with Johnny Knoxville and his crew. I mean, you know, just yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm Wahoo McDaniel. I'm going to drink a quarter motor oil so I can go yeah. on a date with a girl tonight. Fifty bucks. Well, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's kind of where I want to go with you, John. On in the next line mm -hmm. of questioning about putting a book together. You know, there's a lot of you're being trusted with some uh, someone's life story. Okay, and that's that's like you know an honor, and uh, a lot of oh, people yeah. consider that an oh, honor, to, that someone would trust you to tell the story the right way. I'm proud. That's all I can say. And yo, John did a hell of a job. But here's the question, though: and a writer, every writer that I'm, we've had a lot of writer, a lot of authors on this show. I mean, a lot of them, and Mike Messier can attest to that fact. We've had a lot of authors on this show, and everybody has their own little process of deciphering and disseminating information and taking that separate information and putting it together so that it's cohesive. It tells a story, grabs your attention, maybe has you up on your feet a little bit, back in the chair, maybe has you laugh, maybe has you cry. It's supposed to evoke all these emotions, right? Mm -hmm. What is the what process do you utilize to to pull all of that out? Uh, it, it's it, in a way, it's a it's a lot like putting together a big jigsaw puzzle. You know, when when you start in on something like that, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, the first stories I heard about Wahoo were were things like you know him running you know 30, 34 miles from Norman to Chickasha, Oklahoma, on a bet. Um, you know, drinking the water, the motor oil. So, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people told me about, you know, when, when he would make a tackle, you know, for the New York Jets, they would say tackle by who, and they would yell like, wow, who. Um, so you, you, you start recording, you know, what you get and, and basically just, just start writing everything down. Um, and, and, and then at a certain point, you've got to, you got to go back and you got to start trying to figure out, okay, what goes where and everything. Um, for, for a lot of books in the past, you know, I, I would utilize a resource like wrestlingdata.com where I can go and I can pull kind of a career, basically a career storyline of following where they're at. Um, wrestling data is maybe 80, 90% accurate. You know, there, there's a lot of times that there's, there's erroneous, especially with, with some of the older wrestlers. Um, you know, it, it, it can be, be a little iffy. Uh, with this particular one, there was the, the record book that, that Mark James and, and Greg Grog had put together. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was open and on my desk for quite a bit when I was trying to figure out, okay, here's where 
he this happened. Here's where this happened. Yeah. And it was it was as, the more I went along and, and everything like that. There were stories that you know there were a couple of chapters where we kind of grouped some things together about Wahoo doing good by the boys or Wahoo getting sued by the fans or uh, things like that. Um, but but a lot of those stories kind of found their way into the narrative ultimately because you know yeah. one one of them being the the Bobby Heenan story about when he was uh, Wahoo was under a mask and, and Bobby had tied it to the turnbuckle mm-hmm. and uh, you know found exactly where that was supposed to go. So yeah. I mean it's it's certainly a challenge. <laughs> but you know I, again you're you're just kind of gathering stories. You're, you're recording interviews with people. Um, you know I, I went through Wah- a, a shoot interview Wahoo had done. Karen and I had a number of phone calls and everything, and you know getting everything on audio or getting everything down in writing and then it's just going back and having the process of trying to figure out the best way to tell the narrative and well, did, john how, how far into uh wahoo's football career did you delve into I mean, we, we, we covered it year by year. We, we talked about his, his, his time in Oklahoma and, and, and how things went there. Um, a, a lot of the college stories and everything like that, hanging out in the wrestling room. Uh, actually, we went back even further than that. We got, we got some high school stories because I got to talk to one of his high school buddies, um, a guy named Jerry Calloway, who uh, ended up becoming a, di- a director of photography in Hollywood and worked on Dances with Wolves. Uh, was a buddy of his way oh back then. God. Had stories from his sisters. but He, he played baseball. His, his baseball coach was George H. W. Bush. Um, so we got some yeah. tales about that. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about his, his football career. Um, and, and some of the, you know, stories came, came from some of the oddest sources, but we got great tales about, um, you know, the, the years that he was playing football, the years that he was with the Dolphins and with the Jets. And, and uh, you know, he, he was actually part of that Broncos team that wore those hideous vertical striped browning yellow socks. Uh, he, the second he, he was there the second year the, the last year of those uniforms so he was there for the uniform burning as well when they uh, switched over to the blue and orange but uh, we, 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 didn't, we, we didn't cover his career it was it was kind of a you know for a while I was like well I don't want to just cover football and then go into wrestling but they just right. overlapped so I mean we pretty much just covered his wrestling and, and his uh, football career simultaneously throw it over to Mike Messier Mikey I'll throw it to you and then you toss it to Jakey when you're done this conversation is just reminding me of some great Wahoo McDaniel matches that maybe uh, John and Karen can chime in after I list some of them. Uh, but I'm just thinking of Wahoo's work at the early Starcades. You know, at the first Starcade, I think it was Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood teamed up against Dick Slater and Cowboy Bob Orton, Randy Orton's father. And they had a great tag team match, which was one of the early matches on the show. But it kind of stole the undercard of that show, to be honest with you. And then uh, Starcade 84, Wahoo defended the U.S. title against superstar Billy Graham, which was kind of in the middle of Wahoo's heel turn. It was kind of an unusual heel versus heel U.S. title match, I think. And then in 85, he had a real bloodbath with Wahoo, uh, with Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull. Um, if, if I'm, am I getting that right? Was that 85? No, that was that was Manny versus uh, Abdullah Butcher. Wahoo teamed with Billy Jack Haynes against Ole and Arn Anderson in a really great tag team match. And then Wahoo beat Ravishing Rick Rude in a strap match at Starcade 86. So, I mean, this guy, if you're, if you're a young wrestling fan watching this show and you're not that familiar with Wahoo's wrestling work, get the book uh, by John and Karen. But you can watch these matches. They're easily found on the WWE Network or YouTube or anything else. I just had to put over Wahoo's wrestling ability because he was such a great wrestler and he brought legitimacy to those matches, in my opinion. Absolutely. And some of the guys today, as the flips and everything are, they couldn't they couldn't do the legitimate tough guy stuff that a Wahoo and a, major, a Manny Fernandez could do. 
Uh, and yeah. I don't know if Karen or John has any comments on those Starcades. Did, did Wahoo ever talk about his Starcade matches with you, Karen? I was there selling stuff. We'd have extra. See, because Wahoo, Wahoo was the only when he went to uh, Mid Atlantic, he made a deal. The only way he'd come there is if he, if we, if he could sell it, uh, gimmicks. And the Crockett's didn't allow anybody to sell gimmicks that they sold their own pictures and stuff. But that was Wahoo's deal, period. Yeah. So I had, we had pictures, all kind of stuff printed. I shipped them on the bus to all the different places that the Starcade was uh, pay-per-viewed. Um, did they call it pay-per-view? It was closed circuit TV uh, yeah, until Yeah, closed circuit, yeah. But, yeah. Um, it was on a big screen. You had to go to the arena to see it. Oh, yeah. Closed circuit, yeah. Closed circuit. Remember okay. them days? <laughs> yeah. So we sent, I sent packages, and I had people to pick them up at the bus station. That We made more money that night selling gimmicks than he did wrestling just about. Because they were every city oh, sure. that put the arcade in, the, you know, that's where. So really, during Starcade, my main concern was getting the paraphernalia out to get it sold and bring the cash in the door smart <laughs> it's all business that's, that's that's punk rock right there i mean that's do it yourself that's mm -hmm. great yeah i do i do know there was the, the one night he and manny were on i think i think they they, they weren't on last second or third to last and it was the night of the lawler uh was it Carrie Von Von Eric? yeah Super yeah Flash three and no, nobody nobody could decide who was going to go over and he and manny were like well you know what we're just going to go up and go out there and show them up and and they just went there out there and had a bloodbath <laughs> yeah. they were like yeah. they were ready to kill lawler they were ready to kill Von Eric. So like, let's just take it out on each other uh -huh. <laughs> so. yeah there was oh some, man i mean you can't even imagine any of that now but just and i'll just give you an example about the younger people now that are watching all of that on youtube they're not necessarily watching the new stuff as much as they're going back and watching youtube and an example and this is the cutest example this past summer i was uh, talked to missy hyatt up at um the gathering in charlotte and she said karen this guy came up to me and he was talking about when i got the water poured on me and so and so in 1991 at such and such a match and she said I looked at him and I thought, you weren't even born in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's what I, that's what we were actually talking about is how all the young people are going back and seeing these people of the 80s on all comment. That's wrestling. We have a Leon Barfield said, I met Wahoo at the TBS studio in 85 and it was very nice to me. Well, I, I'd be interested to, to, to find out how that meeting took place. Unless unless maybe Leon worked at the studio at the time. Was that, um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and I don't know how much um, you want to give away now, Karen, because I, I know you want to sell books. But how much input did Wahoo either elicit from fans or seek out as far as the nature of his character he was always you said he was always wahoo was always wahoo but every performer has that little thing that connects them to people did wahoo purposely or deliberately um maintain how do i want to say this 
did he maintain his individuality purposefully so as not to convolute it with a character, so to speak? And 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 what was it that he that connected people to him? I guess that's really what I'm getting to. What he was, was it that connected people to Wahoo? You well, you hit the nail on the head. He they they were all connected to him. They all looked up to him. They all respected him. Fans, guys, you know, the boys, everybody did. Because he just he walked out with a persona like nobody else. I'm you telling you believe who I am. And he like I said, he didn't have to dress up in some costume or something. He he was just him. He walked around with his head held high, played golf with Lee Trevino and da 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 da. And he knew he was good and he knew he could do any of it except play basketball. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> right? Yeah, basketball, right? <laughs> he knew he was good at it. So if you're good at something and you know you're good, it's easy to walk out there and, and be that, you know, that person that everybody likes and wants to be. Uh, and Wahoo connected with fans before he was ever in a wrestling ring. He was, I mean, if you go back, there's there's a really wonderful book called Going Long. It's the history of, of, of the AFL. Um, that it's, it's, it's kind of an oral history. And right. there were a lot of great players in the AFL. There's a lot of them that are in the Hall of Fame. Wahoo was, was never an all-star in the AFL, and he's not in the Hall of Fame, did not have a Hall of Fame career. But when you talk about the AFL, you can't talk about the AFL without talking about Wahoo McDaniel. Nope. He was one of the most talked about. He was one of the most recognized. He was one of the most remembered players uh, from, from, from that, that 10 years that the league was in existence. And as, as uh, say, as uh, winning the Super Bowl or anything, he was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Mm. But thought that they would win the year after he left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of wrestling of recent years, the name Haku comes up with uh, being a tough-as-nails guy. Everybody says Haku is, he's the guy you don't want to mess with. Mm-hmm. But that's now. Back in the day, there was a guy named Wahoo McDaniel you didn't, didn't want to piss off. You didn't no. want to get on. Karen's shaking her head. <laughs> you didn't. She knows where I'm going with this question. So mm-hmm. let's talk about those times, Karen, when when uh, when Wahoo lost his cool, let's say. And John will follow up with uh, any good stories in the book. <laughs> um, there were there were times if some guy had come to the house, say, to deliver a TV, and there had been, you know, I didn't really know Wahoo well enough to to maybe not say this guy said this and he did this and then wahoo would call him up and blast him out you know i learned quickly there were certain things i didn't need to express to him because he'd defend me he would stand up and stand out um but just like okay um the harris teeter in wendy and uh charlotte north carolina is a grocery store and some guy, and I, this has been in papers and stuff, he, he backed it, was trying to back up. Wahoo was trying to pull up, and they ended in, up into a little mouthing altercation. And the guy threw a bag of um, cold frozen peas at him, and Wahoo put his head through the bicycle rack. Oh. And I call, I call, it's on the thing, a wrestler is on the news, a wrestler was rioting at the Harris Teeter on Providence Road. 
So oh my God. that was that was a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Good, John. I was gonna say Ricky Morton tells tells the famous story about the incident in Bennigan's and, oh, and God. the nachos that he dumped on the girl he got oh, sued God. over. I, I will say the one guy Wahoo did did not mess with was Karen, and there, there's a number of good stories in the book about that. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, I can uh, imagine. Well, <laughs> I know Karen. I can imagine. <laughs> in the beginning, I was well. Oh shit. Kind of mirror, I guess you might say. Anyway. I would chase him out to the car to give him a kiss, goodbye, or a hug. <laughs> His mom had told me, you are so loving, and he's not. Well, he just wasn't affectionate, you know. But I would chase him out in the car, and then if I didn't hear from him, I'd be all boo-hoo. And, and if he got mad at me, he would, he would pout and not talk to me for a couple of days. And this went on, you know, in the youthful part of our marriage for the first couple of years. And then I figured it all out, you know. And finally, one time I said to him, I said, you can do all that pout and not talk to me all you want to. I don't care. He never. I have a real hard problem thinking of Wahoo McDaniel pouting at anything. Well, but I let said. Me, for the record, let me say. He would get mad at me and just not, he could just not speak to me. Just not speak to me. And so finally I said, you can do all that not speaking to me and all you want to. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't bother me at all. He never did it again. It was like That's if you funny. stood up to him for whatever he had you know that you know your side of the story. Yeah. Would he could evaluate and say, "Oh well, she's probably right." You know that is kind of stupid. Or interesting. I'll tell you what, Jam and Jake. You got any questions before we throw open the uh, throw open the lines for uh, questions and comments from our audience? Um, I actually wanted to ask John Cosper a question. You you brought oh, sure, up sure. you you brought up Kevin Sullivan. Did you see his appearances on the Mick Dodd show on National Geographic? Uh, I, I did not. No. He he a few he did a few episodes on the show on the like, the Legend of Mick Dodge. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I'll check it out. No idea about that. And um, I I also want to say that number one, you know. John Cosper is the gold standard in in wrestling books. Absolutely. Because here's Absolutely. the thing, because when you talk about wrestling biogra uh, biography books, nine out of ten of those books is done by John Cosper. Uh, I, I would, I would disagree with that. Scott Teal, I think, is the gold standard, and he is he is the master that we're all following after. But yeah. um, there's there's so many great writers out there. Um, oh, Ian Douglas sure. has, has done some phenomenal books. Kenny Casanova, um, I should stop listing right I now. Love Kenny. I drop a lot. Greg Oliver, um, uh, Jason Presley does does great work. Um, there's just there's just a lot of great wrestling historians. A lot of guys yeah. doing. Great uh, Supporting each other, and it's it's it, it's it's a really great community, really supportive community, and absolutely um, just 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 a lot of really great guys that you know just, just trying trying to help. You know, we 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 got a late start. You know, wrestling didn't really start getting journalistic, you know, historical coverage, I guess, until you know probably Mick Foley and Have a Nice Day was kind of the turning point for that. You know, there have been biographers and historians for football and baseball and basketball and even hockey since the beginning. Yeah. Um, so, so we're kind of kind of playing catch up, and well, know, that's a family. really interesting yeah. thing. That uh, can I segue into that with you, John? Sure. Um, and then I want Mike Messier to hop in on piggyback off me. Um, back in the early '60s, there were a number of wrestling books out by people like Ed Strangler Lewis and um, 
uh, Maurice Tillette and people like that. They, the, the so-called autobiographies, basically that what they were, were essentially case save books. They were workbooks. Okay. Like Mulder's, like Mulder's autobiography. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's where I want to yeah, go yeah. with this. So how important was it for you and maybe Karen too? How important was it not to tell the stuff that was already publicly known? Well, I mean, there are certain stories. If you're going to tell a Wahoo story, you have to include those tales, you know? Sure. Um, again, you know, running from Norman to Chickasha, drinking the yep. motor oil and, and, uh, having his name on the back of the jersey and, and the fans, you know, you have to, if you're not telling those stories, you're not telling the full story of Wahoo. Okay. Um, but I think it's just important to go deeper and, and, and to tell the story of the whole man. Um, you know, and I think the Norman of Chickasha story, there were three or four different versions. We put them all in there just, just so people could, you know, hear just from different viewpoints and, and what different people remember of them. Yeah. I love the fact that there were more versions of the story, mm. but I've heard so many versions of the story, you know? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, like I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I knew the babysitter story, but I heard like three versions of the babysitter story. Oh. So now when I, you know, I get, because I can't tip the hat. I want people to buy the book. I, yeah, I know. They're not. You know, because I'm hey, older my, than my I. Louisville book, there's three different versions of events as to how Dick the Bruiser took over Indianapolis and Louisville from, from yeah. Jim Barnett, you know? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. 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 I heard a couple of them myself, too, John. Yeah. <laughs> And, and all Mike, of them are good stories, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh man, Mikey Messier, yeah. go for it, brother. Well, I think about the wrestling books, and you know, one that comes to mind is Arn Anderson's book Forever, which was kind of like half kayfabe, half shoot. And I, I for some reason, I love that book because a lot of people don't like it. But I mean, I think Arn told some great stories, and like I said earlier, he was a great opponent for Wahoo McDaniel. But going yeah. to your books, John, I, I guess I wonder. And if this hasn't been done yet, I guess I'd volunteer my own services or, or talk to you about it. But the audio versions, have you done uh, audio versions of your wrestling books? Because there's a great market for audible and audio books. I like to listen to audio books in my car when I'm driving. And uh, I think a lot of people in this day and age prefer audio books versus sitting down and reading because you can drive or you can do other things when you're listening to an audio book. Has that uh, come, have have you thought about the audio versions of Wahoo's book or other your books? I've definitely definitely thought about it, and just just have never pursued it, just just because of the, the the monetary considerations of getting it done and the, and the time commitment. Um, Johnny Candido has has looked into. He he's got some friends that have some recording studios and looked into the possibility of, of recording Chris Candido's book. So that that one certainly is an um, is a possibility. Um, yeah. hey, get in touch with me, Mike. I would certainly certainly be willing to to talk with you more. Um, I'm the kind of guy. I, I like a book in my hands. I do sometimes read r read an ebook on Kindle, um, and and I, I've, whenever I get a free trial of Audible, I always get it because there's really fun stuff you can't find anywhere else on Audible. Um, yeah. This past fall, I listened to basically it was a not a dramatization, but it was a it was a it was an audio book of Dracula where they had different actors reading the characters, and you had Tim Curry uh, and uh, oh, what's his name. Oh, Alan Cumming was 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 Doctor Seward, and then Tim Curry was Van Helsing, and, and it was just just wonderful to listen wow. to. Um, so I, I certainly I certainly do understand the appeal, and, and, and I've enjoyed it myself, and, and and I'm certainly open to it. 
I like your idea about it's about good. the movie book. Yes, I think I think as I say, I, I like your idea about the the wrestlers. Yeah, that would be a good one too because that's that's that, that's what I've thought of as well. Mm-hmm. Hi, Mikey. What kind of what was that? I'm sorry. What did you well, say? I get- I'm telling the stories, combining the stories about wrestlers who also became movie stars, right? really oh. more back in the, the 40s and 50s. And, yeah. Uh, there was there was a whole whole group. Of, I had, uh, John, like I got information on that. You and I, if we corroborated on that, we should talk. Well, he I got, I got some, I've got some really cool 8x10 stills that I've collected over the years just of Wee Willie Davis. Um, in, so, like, you would have form him. He wasn't even born then. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's what the newspaper archives are for, Karen. <laughs> uh, that, that's Karen that's some of the most dirt, right? <laughs> that's some of the most fun and fascinating stuff to go back and find, you know, wrestlers and names and people that nobody has heard. Um, I'll tell a story right now if you guys want. This is yeah, a guy oh, nobody love story time. Nobody has heard of this guy. It was in 1904 in Louisville. This guy, well, he appeared in the newspaper one time. Um, at that time, Louisville had really hadn't seen a lot of wrestling since about the mid 1880s. Right. It'd still be a couple more years. A guy named George Butchel would kind of revive it in the theaters downtown. But there was wrestling. Basically, it was just going on in the bars, you know, and a couple guys would, okay, we're going to wrestle. People would put up money and they'd bet, you know, and whatever. And it was an African-American guy named Steve Calloway, who apparently was well known around town, was was very popular and, and, and everything like and, and was undefeated. Uh, and it was mid-July. Guy walked into the bar. He and Calloway had been working a shift all day. And guy challenged him to a wrestling match. He said, all right, let's do it. They did it right there in the bar. Callaway pinned him. He won. Everybody's clapping him on the back and cheering. And all of a sudden, he fell over dead. Oh, my goodness. And it's just, it's frustrating because I'm like, there's a whole story about this guy. You know, this guy had other matches. You know, there were people from that time that had stories to tell. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the the odds are very good. None of them were recorded other than just just one tragic, tragic ending. I'll tell you what, I am so blessed. I, I am so blessed to have this show. I've had some of the greatest storytellers in wrestling on this show. Uh, Ron Fuller. Mike Messier actually got Ron Fuller for us, as a matter of fact. And Ron right. is a is a, a, a veritable plethora. plethora. I got to gotta go see, gotta oh see Ron. Oh, my God. The, 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 um, the stories that Ronnie can tell is just, uh, you just sit there in awe and go, tell me more. I want to hear more. Mm-hmm. So here's I'll tell you what the one guy was talking about the books books that were like workbooks kayfabe. I love Bruno San Martino. The late the late living legend was a, an amazing guy. But John, there wasn't a single thing written in his book that he hadn't said twenty five or thirty five thousand times before that. It was essentially everything he's already done and said that he decided to dictate to somebody to put in a book. And Sal Carrenti, who was the author of uh, Bruno's autobiography, said, you know, Bruno, look, they've, they've already, they know this. Well, good, they'll know more. Here you go. <laughs> well, well and, and, you know, and, and, and in Bruno's defense there, I mean, these stories need to be recorded. They need to be recorded, in, in an, whether it's an audio or video or, yeah. or written form. They need to be recorded, and, and even the kayfabe stories, you know. I mean, because yeah. you can't tell the real story of wrestling without also telling the kayfabe story. I, you and know? you know what? That's funny you say that, John, because that was the only, really, the only book per se on Bruno that's dubbed an autobiography, only because 
Sal Carrenti knew Bruno, and he dictated the story to him. Um, Jake, you got a question for John or Karen? Uh, by the way, uh, number one, we have uh, Barbara Goodish is in the chat. Oh, Barbara. Oh, yes. Get Barbara in here. Let's uh, Barbara, see. Barbara, uh, she, she, I know she's not chatting, but she's she dropped us a like on one of the pages. Oh, wonderful. But uh, I love nice. Barbara. But, yeah, try to uh, let's coax her into the chat room. Maybe she's got a question. Uh, <laughs> right. By the, way, uh, by the way, um, we got we got a question from White Dad. This is the this is uh, you know who White Dad was Sheriff Donald Lord was sure. Ron Fuller, Ron actually, Fuller, Ron Fuller has a nice YouTube channel. I'm not promoting Ron Fuller's YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a question. Damn it. I like Ron, but I'm not promoting his YouTube channel. I'm sorry. only going to promote MikeMessier.com. That's it. <laughs> or, uh, or Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks, Angela. Your que uh, Mikey, questions for you. Final question well, I for to, I want to share with Karen especially. Karen, I have a great anecdote that I don't think I told you before. It was uh, late 1991, and my friends and I took a four-hour road trip to see, I believe the promotion was called the Virginia Wrestling Alliance, and it was one of the first indie shows I ever went to, oh. and uh, we we had never seen something like this, and I believe uh, the guy defending the title in the main event was the guy, I think he was using a wrestler named Agent Orange. And he was a mass wrestler, and it was supposed to be him defending the title against Wahoo in an Indian strap match. Mm -hmm. But then Agent Orange, uh, he, he begged for mercy, and he said, I will not defend my title against Wahoo in an Indian strap match. It, it'll either be a title match or a strap match. And then the fans got to vote uh, if they wanted the strap match or the or the title match. And we all voted for the strap match because we wanted to see this guy get whipped with the strap, and mm -hmm. uh, which wahoo proceeded to do uh he won the match of course it's his match the strap match and uh i'm telling you it was a great time you know it was about three or four hundred maybe i would say 400 people were packed into this high school gym mm -hmm. and i just it was just a, a nice memory of wahoo and i just maybe real quick did wahoo have a have a vibe or tell you about what he thought about doing spot shows like indie promotions did he like that type of thing yeah he liked it it kept him involved i mean uh, after his kind of retirement, and he didn't work very much. It just kept him, it, you know, kind of kept him alive um, in 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 his business. Um, he would go to Walmart and sign autographs. They would pay him to come to Walmart and sign autographs and take. Really, I mean, he liked that. He liked that because it kept him in wrestling, so to speak. You know, it kept him doing things. He, there, I have a, a guy that sent me a message last night, and I want to forward it to John. He complimented our book. But he said, uh, his name is Blackwell. Um, he said he wished that he'd, he loved the book, but he wished that we had written more about the indie shows after the fact. And I thought, well, we would need to do that. We would need some of those indie wrestlers yeah. to help write that because it, you know, it wasn't documented. Though. But, I mean, he drew, um, he drew a lot of money doing that. You know, just a lot of times he would just go to the ring and you know, maybe stand with somebody in the ring towards his later years, and they yeah. just because Wahoo was there. You know, so I'd love to see somebody do the definitive book of Gorgeous George. 
That's a that's a a, a book that needs to be written. Nobody to to this point, no one's really like delved into the life of George Wagner, aka Gorgeous George. Um, John, have you ever thought about maybe doing like historical perspective on Gorgeous George? On on or uh, people yeah. of that uh, of that oh, g- generation. Well, I, I certainly, uh, one of his biggest rivals, the Black Panther, Jim Mitchell. I wrote his autobiography yeah. biography oh, yeah, a couple sure. years ago, and uh, actually, he's uh, some somewhere behind me, back up there, right there. It's really small. <laughs> I can't. See. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I actually, uh, I, I had been researching him for a couple of years because I just found him very fascinating character. Um, read the story in, in Joe Jarris's book, Whatever Happened to Gorgeous George, about the riot at the Olympic Auditorium in 1949. Um, I posted a couple things on my blog, and then I got an email from a guy saying, hey, a buddy of mine bought Jim Mitchell's house in Toledo. You need to talk to him. So I got a hold wow. of the guy, um, and uh, he had bought Mitchell's house. He was he used to flip houses. Heard a couple of ladies talking about a house that was for, you know, was in, for sale at the bank, went and made an offer of like twelve thousand dollars. Was it was in an older estate section in Toledo. Went and started cleaning the house out and finding wrestling posters, programs, oh. boots. Um, a lot of he was a mason. Found a lot of his things from the masons and stuff. And he had kept all this stuff. Um, he oh oh. Jim Mitchell collected smoking pipes from around like by the thousands from around the world. Oh, he, wow. he, I saved the entire pipe collection. So I got to lay hands on all this stuff. Um, everything except for the pipe collection, which he still has up in Toledo. Um, which, wow. you know, it, we'd be great to find a wrestling fan with a lot of money who also has a thing for pipes that could, you know, buy it, <laughs> get it to a museum or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I've had my hands on so much real history of, of Jim Mitchell. And, you know, um, there's actually wow. a photo. Let me let me uh, see if I can. Well, where is it? Oh, it's on the wall up here. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah, You got Jim Mitchell in there. Uh, Enrique Torres, gorgeous George. Um, actually, the story of that train, a fan at the Hall of Fame a couple years ago. Wow. Um, I've seen a special on the History Channel told me what that train was. It was a, basically like a museum exhibit going around the country, you know, the history of America type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but wow. uh, a number of things I, I kept and, and recently donated to the Fraser Histor- Historical Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, which they're going to put on display. But um, no, th- that era wow. fascinates me. Um, you know, I, I wrote his biography. Um, I did one on Elvira Snodgrass, who was basically Mildred Burke's, you know, number one rival in the 1940s. Um, and again, you know, Mars Bennett, and Willie yeah. Davis have been been obsessions of mine for a long time, and, and, and stories that I would really love to tell. There's, um, wow! You know, I'll yeah. tell you what, man, you got I love that stuff. <laughs> you got a few more books in you. Um, John, how familiar are you with the wrestling at the Louisville Gardens? Uh, I, I never went, <laughs> but uh, in retro in, in retroactively, uh, I have learned quite a bit. Actually, my first book was the history of Louisville from 1880 all the way through the present day, and I'm in the process of here in the next couple months putting out a second edition, which goes even deeper. So I'm uh, asking for a reason. I yeah. have a series of shows coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they start next week. Uh, the great venues, great wrestling venues. We're going to do Madison Square Garden, the uh, Philadelphia Arena, um, the uh, Homer Estuary uh, uh, Auditorium in Florida, um, the Sportatorium, of course, in both Florida and Texas, and, of course, the uh, Philadelphia Spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and the uh, I'm sorry, in the um, Olympic Auditorium in California. Um, I would love if to if you feel like it. I'm uh, invite you back maybe to talk about Louisville Gardens if you feel like. Certainly, certainly, I can. You know, I would, would love to. I, I can actually tell you stories going back before the before the Memphis days when it was uh, kind of kind of the special. Exi- you know, the, the the once a year police shows back in the 1950s, and uh, even go back to the 19 teens when they first started having Derby yeah. Eve shows. I, you know what? See, I'm old. Karen um, will tell you I'm old as dirt. Um, there, I, I didn't say it that time. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you say it. Karen, I, I love you, darling. I, I have something to say. Like, whatever. No, Go ahead, Jake. Say about um, Let me you say forgot, what, what about, oh, are we going to do a show about Ovid Arena in Jackson, Tennessee? Oh, all right. Sure. Because you know that that's where that's where uh, they ran shows. Also, that's where Burt Prentice ran shows. Is Ovid Arena? Okay. Well, I'm not sure you'll give me all the information I need. Um, you know, but what are we going to do? Because we can. We're actually up on our our hard uh, our hard eight o'clock here. About yep. two minutes. Um, want to thank my sponsors, Manscaped.com and Pepsi. It's what I like. And uh, thank my guests. Jim and Jake Hudson, the producer. He, you're the best. You're you are the man, Jake. Always Mike always. Messier, MikeMessier.com. John Cosper, the book is Wahoo. Thanks, sir. And Mrs. Wahoo McDaniel, Karen McDaniel. And we are going to end this night with Wahoo McDaniel himself. But first, if you missed it, a story from Greg the Hammer Valentine. Can I, so, can I very quickly, can I can I very quickly show Karen something? Yes, came sir. The, came in the mail today. Oh, I wrote Wahoo's book. <laughs> Yours is in the mail. You'll have it next week. Let, like, oh, say, that's beautiful. I want to say one thing about John Cosper. Yes, I, ma'am. And he said, "Okay, Greg Valentine. What do you think? What, what is there? What do we need to do?" I said, "Exactly like it is. Don't change a word." And he went, "Really?" And I, I thought that was so humble and sweet. He went. Really? I said, don't change a word. It's perfect. Well, you I know? will tell you, it is a hell of a read. I know. It's it a is. fascinating book. Funny. And, uh, it's funny, funny. It book. is funny. It is funny. It, it really is. <laughs> it's the kind of book, as I described it earlier, it talks to you. It touches you. It reaches. It connects with you. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you think about something. Oh, I never knew that. It tells you something. You know, it smartens you up a little bit in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not boring, and I've read a lot of boring ones. Oh my God, Karen! There's a a, a whole, you know, chain of bookstores full of boring books, uh, but this ain't one of them. And I want you to know this too. There were several people I did approach about writing a book, and they were not interested because he was deceased, and it would just be da 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 da. And I went, wait. I want to write people's words about it. Yeah. And John Cosper took me up on that. And for the record, I am the person who told Karen McDaniel oh, about John. Tell me, please. <laughs> or, this would is, not be possible with that, Angela. Thank you very the, much. <laughs> about you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now listen. I, I'm just like Wahoo. If I'm not teasing you, I, I don't like you. Hey, yo. You know what I mean? I hear you. If I don't like you, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> so there I'm you just... go, folks. Well, let's hear from Greg Valentine and Wahoo McDaniel. And uh, 
Till next week, we'll see you next time, folks. All right, thank you, guys. The Wahoo thing. Oh, the Wahoo. Wahoo beat me so hard, beat me so many times. And finally, one day, I had just had it. I hauled off and hit Wahoo as hard as I could in his face. And I knocked him down. <laughs> and he got up and he shook his head. And then we finished the match. But, I mean, he was brutalizing me. So I always told people that Wahoo made me tough. He beat me tough. So he made me tough. He walked by me one time and, and to my wife, Julie, and he goes, this is after the thing where I knocked him out. I didn't knock him out. I knocked him on his knees, but he was shaking his head. He goes, I just want to, he didn't say it to me. He goes, I just want to tell you that your husband's a hell of a man. And he walked on. He was still stiff the next night, but it was a little different. Professional football player. Well, you know, I, I wrestled in the first year I was playing football. I wrestled in 1960 was my first year, and uh, I wrestled a half a year, and I played football a half a year. And uh, every year I, I made more and more money in the offseason, and finally at the end I was making probably two and a half times more money wrestling than I was playing football. McDaniel was an outspoken player who fought for his rights. Back in 1965, players were making as little as $12,000 per year. And for Wahoo, that just wasn't enough. You know, when you got something, an ace in the hole, it's easy to say, if, if, I, if you don't get more money, I'll go and wrestle because I was making more money wrestling. And uh, where a lot of guys, you know, didn't have jobs and they went home and worked at odd jobs off season. And, uh, you know, they tended to have to have football to make a living. And that's where they, you know, and they were a little timid about saying anything. You'd be surprised at what a man like me would do for He, he he could do it all. He he ran. He played football. He, he again. He, you know. And what a what a great fucking professional wrestler. A legitimate tough guy too. So, uh, yeah, sportsman is really what you'd have to sports, call. Sportsman. Yeah.